going to pick up on my series that I've been bringing to you on Sunday mornings on spiritual giftedness. You know, the overall title is God's people are spiritually gifted. And I want you to understand that with the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you have potential to be used by God in any way, at any moment he chooses. And uh, one of the ways that he does this is through spiritual gifts. And teaching on spiritual gifts, which I love to do, I've got to be careful not to present a false distinction between holiness on the one side, living for God on the one side, and charismatic gifts on the other. It's possible to minister powerfully in charismatic gifts and not live a life of holiness. Sad to say, it's possible because spiritual gifts are not an endorsement of your own spirituality. It's a gift of God. Doesn't mean to say, therefore, that we can exercise spiritual gifts and not bother about walking closely with Jesus. And I'm sure that there is a level of walking with Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, that is, letting the Spirit of God have full control over every part of your life, that out of that can come tremendous opportunities, if we're listening to God, to flow with Him in supernatural ways. I could be teaching directly from the New Testament. And there's long lists of spiritual gifts there. That's my usual methodology. But this series, I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to go to the Old Testament, look at it through New Testament eyes. Please be aware I'm doing that. I'm looking at the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. And looking at some of these great Bible characters from the Old Testament. And seeing how God used them at times in extraordinary ways. And for this, I I think we've got some insight into how God wants to use us in spiritual gifts. Why I'm enjoying this series, teaching it this way, is because the Old Testament saints that God used, we have a history of them. We've got a story. We've got some narrative. And we can identify with them. And like David, we're going to be talking about today. And see, David, though he was gifted naturally with many gifts and qualities, and God used him supernaturally, he was feeble just like the rest of us. And the story that I'm going to focus on towards the end of the message is David and Goliath. And this is where I get my theme for today. And I want you to take this message home with you. This is really for you to think about, reflect on. And uh, we have some sheets here for the cell leaders sent out already to all the cell leaders, these uh, questions, application questions. And that's what the study is going to be based on. Here it is. And put yourself into this category right here and now. Here it is. God uses the things which are not. To bring to nothing the things that are. God uses the things that are not. The insignificant things, the base things, the rejected things. The things the world will pass by. That's you and me. And he does that. He uses us to confound the things that are. So I'm going to go to this New Testament passage. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. And you will see therefore why I am referring to this when it comes to the story of David. This will appear on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 26, 29. Also, don't forget to bring your Bibles. Now, I'm, I've got belt and braces here uh, and, and the rest. We've got the screen as well. I've got my mobile phone with all my Bibles on. I've got my, my paper Bible here, just in case you think I'm backslidden. I've got that here. And we'll be looking at other passages in a moment. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, open to 1 Samuel 16 and 17, and those are the two passages where we talk about this. Looking at David, I'm going to focus on the gift of faith that God manifested through him when it came to confronting Goliath. But I want you to see the point of all of this. Right now, we are feeling more than we have for several generations what it's like to be a minority group, minority opinion in an otherwise anti-God culture. And what has happened over the years is the Christian consensus of our nation has been solid for decades and indeed generations. What has happened recently is the Christian consensus is collapsing. Society itself is adopting views and values which are very much opposed to gospel values. It wasn't always the way. And now through media, government, and many, many other ways, not all above the board ways, many manipulative ways as well, trying to silence any person who has a different viewpoint, not allowing studies to be done or to be published which show the harmful nature of some of the things that are happening to our families. And increasingly, we are being made to feel that we are an unacceptable minority. If ever there was a generation of Davids confronting Goliath, it is today. And I want us to celebrate that fact just for a moment. Don't think I'm being twisted in my thinking, and I certainly don't want to encourage a persecution complex here. But you know, the truth is, we have always been in a minority. Even if our society has been majority Christian value based on that, majority Christian value society, that's not always going to last because at the end of the day, it is only faith-filled and spirit-filled people that can produce that consensus. That's why today we should stand up and be counted. And I want to encourage you that this miracle of faith today might be your story this week. It may not be a Philistine standing in front of you, and if it is, please don't label him or her that, because it won't be very complimentary. But spiritually speaking, we are a generation of Davids facing a generation of Goliaths. And God wants us to, to give us the courage to rise up, to speak for him, and know whatever it takes, God will vindicate his people if we're prepared to go his way. So we're going to look at... Uh, the story of David. First of all, I want you to see that David had a lot of natural talent. When we speak about spiritual gifts, more often than not, we're speaking about what we may call supernatural additions to our lives. God giving us ability, supernaturally, with his help and guidance, to do things that we wouldn't normally be able to do. They are gifts of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we should pause to acknowledge that God has given to us many, many natural gifts. And at times when these gifts are yielded to God, 
they can become a blessing and almost, so to speak, be elevated to the status of a spiritual gift because God uses them supernaturally. We offer what we have and God does the rest. But the gift of faith we're talking about is when you have nothing to offer God. Nothing at all. That's the essence of faith. Think about how you were saved. When you were saved, what did you bring to God? If you said to God when you were saved, God, I've done 48% and I just need another 3% to pass into the kingdom of God. God will say, you know nothing. You know nothing. The Sermon on the Mount begins, blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning that when you come to God in any way whatsoever, you know you have nothing to bring to him to contribute to his acceptance of you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the essence of faith is emptying yourself of any pride, any trusting in yourself whatsoever. R.T. Kendall very often uses this, transferring the trust from yourself to Jesus Christ, to the blood of Jesus. That is a presentation of the gospel that makes it very, very clear that before you're saved, normally you trust yourself. That's how, what most people do. But when you're saved, you realize that there is nothing you can offer God that you are spiritually bankrupt and into your nothingness, in fact, your less than nothingness, God will pour his riches and his grace. That's the essence of faith. Amen. And now when we're talking about the supernatural manifestation of the gift of faith, it's the same principle. It's doing what, what, what only God can do. <laughs> when you've done everything that you can do, there comes a place where you say, God, now please do what only you can do. I've been there many, many times in my life. I'm not so sure that ever, at every point, God has gifted me with a gift of faith to ride me through supernaturally. But one way or another, God always comes through. And it begins when we acknowledge all his gifts. Look at David. Now, I'm, I'm relying on your general knowledge. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you will know the story. How he kills Goliath and he takes stones and uses his sling. And, and how he was a shepherd boy on the mountain singing, making melody to the Lord. David had a heap of natural gifts. Very gifted young man. He, he was a musician. Now, anybody that can sing or play music, I think, is absolutely gifted and amazing because I cannot. I, I can appreciate and critique. In fact, I can go to an opera singer and improve whatever, but they will never say, well, show me. Don't tell me, show me. And, of course, I can't. So I value people with music, musical gifts. And I believe there are people with musical gifts in this place. Today, you should be speaking to Fabio, and you should be saying, I want to take part in the singing and music ministry of the church. Can I have an amen? I'm recruiting here and now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All right. Now, I believe that one of the best ways of honoring God with your natural gifts is to hand them over to him and recognize that they come from him and to develop them and work on them and use them as best as they can. What is your natural gifting? Is it music? Is it communication? Is it critical analysis? Is it the ability to sell things? What is your natural gift? Acknowledge it's from God, wait on it, and develop it before God, and you'd be surprised where it will take you. I believe when we yield that part of our lives to him, it brings us to the point of supernatural breakthrough when it is necessary. Other things he had. If he had a physical ability. I'm not so sure he was bigger and stronger than everybody else as a young guy. There, despised shepherd, family not even accepting him out there looking after the sheep. But he had a certain physical ability, whether it was agility, 
that was always my thing. I was never a big, muscly, strong kind of guy, but I had three things in my favor. I was very sharp up here, number two, very sharp here, and number three, very quick on my legs. So I could get in and out of trouble very quickly by being agile. Now, he had an agility. He could go right in and deal with a lion that attacked the flock, deal with a bear, attack the flock, and there is something natural about his ability. Alongside that, we can see that uh, at some stage anyway, he developed the ability for strategic thinking. Later on in life, it led to military prowess, leadership activity, strength of character. What was it about David's natural ability that made him a born leader? And I think it might be his ability to reflect, his ability to connect relationally. The best leaders are relational leaders. The best leaders, certainly in church life, are the leaders who are able to connect with people, not those who can stand up in a disconnected way and tell everybody else what to do and dump and delegate on everybody else, but people who know how to sit alongside people. Think about Jesus. He could sit alongside people. What qualified him to preach to the crowds was his ability to connect with individual people. And I think that David, with all his sensitivity, and I'm pleading a case here for the artists amongst us, the sensitivity that he had, and maybe because he was lonely as a shepherd, rejected, he had an ability to to love, to connect, and to appreciate others. We know later on God compensated for this lack, gave him beautiful relationships. He had a wonderful relationship with Jonathan, a covenant-type relationship. And so God used him in that way. Many, many natural gifts. Then also he had natural qualities. Natural qualities. Qualities that can be present in Christians and non-Christians. These are the kind of things the Holy Spirit can bless and develop. One of them is contentedness. Look at David. Now, I'm arguing from silence here because we never see him complaining. Therefore, I'm concluding that he was contented. David had an ability, whatever state he found himself in, to be content because he was developing a trust in God. And we don't see him complaining. We don't see him harboring bitterness. If ever he was any person who'd read all three books of Dr. R.T. Kendall on forgiveness, totally, total forgiveness, totally forgiving God, totally forgiving yourself, must have been David. We don't see any bitterness in him at all, despite being badly treated. He was rejected, neglected, not even invited to the feast. All the seven sons are there, and the eighth one is just left off somewhere. Maybe seven being the perfect number. They said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, we're done. And then along comes David, and they say, no, we don't want him. He wasn't wanted. He was bullied by his brothers. He was neglected by his father. But God saw him and saw his heart. He was faithful. He was loyal to his task. Even though it was not a task he would have chosen for himself. In those days at that time, taking care of sheep was the most humble, menial, even despised jobs. I don't know where you find yourself now. Maybe you're tempted to be discontented with your lot in life. Maybe you're saying, I I deserve more than this. Nobody's recognizing me. Nobody's appreciating me. My boss doesn't know that I exist. My family don't acknowledge me. 
My ministry is not being acknowledged. And I want to say to you this. You could be a David in the waiting. Do not despise the day of small things. Do not be despised where God has placed you. Because it may just be a test in which God is putting you in training for reigning. To a place where you might rise later on in life. So we see all of these things. It takes a lot of character to be loyal and faithful when you're in a position like David. But God used these things. And we can see later on when the Spirit of God takes David up and begins to push him forward into the plan and purpose of God for his life, every one of these positive gifts and natural qualities were used by God to be a blessing to the whole of the nation. So God will take up and use your natural gifts. That's very important. Also, I want you to notice that God uses every circumstance in your life. Even the negative ones. I'm such a passionate believer in this that I could say, and I think it is right, God uses every circumstance in your life, especially the negative ones, to bring you to the place he wants you to be. So if you're in a time now when you're struggling, praise God, thank God. Don't wish yourself too soon out of a trial. The Bible says, let patience have its perfect work. And right now you could be being formed and fashioned by God in the unseen place where nobody else is watching you. Nobody else is recognizing you. They wouldn't look at you twice in the street. They wouldn't even notice you. And and they don't know what God knows. They don't see what God sees. Right where you are in that place of rejection and difficulty where you might consider yourself to be despised and treated as nothing, as less than nothing by your family, by your so-called friends, by your workplace, workmates, your college Uh, uh, people, your your, your fellow students, wherever you are, just rejoice and say, God, I'm going to take it because you are working in me something that you can use. God was testing him. God was proving him. David had this knowledge. He had this self-awareness. When David offered to take care of Goliath, they said, who are you? You can do this. You can't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't know. I, I remember one time a lion came to attack the flock. And, you know, I didn't run away. I went strip, met that lion head on head. I dealt with the lion. I dealt with the bear. And the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David knew he was in training for something. Yesterday, lions and bears. Today, Goliaths. What is the challenge God is giving you today? Meet it head on. Be victorious in the small things and you'll graduate to the big things. Amen and amen. I also believe the character development, the skill development, all of this, God was building something into David's heart and testing him. And you know, there was a way when, when, when Samuel came to Jesse's house, Samuel the prophet told, I'm going to give you to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. When Samuel came, they had no idea who it was, and the first of Samuel, of Jesse's sons, this is David's elder brother, son number one, Eliab, when he came, this guy was so big. I mean, he was Gabriel plus, you know, arms <laughs> like legs, legs like tree trunks, beveled chest. 
egg box abdominals. Ladies, don't go too far. <laughs> That's why I said Gabriel plus. All right. And Samuel said, wow, this is him. Let me get the oil ready. And God said, no, not him. You see, Samuel, you're looking on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Remember, that's such an important principle of the kingdom of God. Do not judge by outward appearances. God is far more concerned about what's going on inside you than how you look today on the outside. Now, I'm glad many of you, yeah, most, yeah, all of you, took trouble about your appearance today. One or two, maybe not, but anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> and that's good. It's good. There is a Nigerian thing where ladies dress up on a Sunday to say, you see me? You see me? I, Jules, I'm dressed like this. I'm looking for a man who can keep me in this fashion. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Madam, are you married? Madam, here. Madam, are you married? Okay. Twice. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> two kids. Two kids, not twice. Two kids. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, I've been away. I've missed you. I want some fun this morning. You're fine. You're fine. So uh, this is all your husband now. He thinks of you like this to make you look this good. Amen. Give somebody a round of applause. All right. Now... I'm just having, I'm having fun with you, and that's, that's a customer to, uh, tradition and so on. But at the end of the day, the best qualities for a husband and wife are not mere outward appearance. It's what's in the heart. And God saw David's heart. Why did he, how did he see David's heart? Was it just because God knows everything? Sure, God knows everything. But God was developing David's character. And God was also testing and proving David, showing David himself the true values and the things which lead to supernatural breakthrough. So God uses your natural qualities. He uses your life experiences, including and especially the difficult ones. He does this to bring you to the point where he can use you with supernatural power. We know that David was called to be king. God said, I've seen the way you take care of the sheep. Now I can trust you to take care of my people. And also you can reflect my heart. God is a great shepherd king. And, G and, and David is a prototype of that kingship which was fulfilled in Jesus as the good shepherd. Imagine, David had no idea what God was doing at that time. But there came a moment when God wanted to demonstrate a little bit more about David and to take David further into God's purpose for his life. And you know the story, the Philistines came. David was still looking after sheep. All the brothers went to war. David was at home till the father said, take some cheese sandwiches to the front, the guys in the front of the battle, they need some feeding. On the other side was the, all the armies of the Philistines and Goliath, the champion, in ancient fashion, you, you, kill the ch you, you defeat my champion and then we are your slaves or vice versa. But this guy was just like, 
you know, so tall, so big. He was one of, one of, the, of the giant racers, absolutely extraordinary. And everybody was terrified. And along comes David to bring sandwiches. And uh, his brother begins to uh, ridicule him and say, what if you come out here? You just come to watch the battle. Who's looked after your sheep? <laughs> what battle? There was no battle. No battle at all. Nobody was doing anything. Standing up, parading, hello, walking up and down, marching, going home to bed. Nobody would respond to the taunts and the blasphemies that were coming from the mouth of Goliath. And David heard this. David heard this. And he said, what's happening here? Why isn't anybody doing anything? And something on the inside of David moved him. Let's look at verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17. Then David spoke to the men. 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We know what happened. There was a reward given And maybe David thought, this is my opportunity. Maybe he thought, God, now is the moment where you can promote me and I can get out of my current situation into a better position. Maybe there was part of that, but certainly something stirred on the inside of him that was not stirring on anybody else, not even King Saul. This tells me how deep David had begun to get to know God. He not only got to know God, he knew what God's plan was right there and then. This wasn't foolhardiness. David was not taking the initiative. It was the Spirit of God that was at work. Remember this. If I I could teach anything to you today that I'd love you to learn... If you don't really know it, it is this. When it comes to spiritual gifts, never initiate anything. Always respond to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you don't decide a miracle is going to happen. You can't make it happen. And if God is not doing it, we can never do it. And so bold is the gift of faith, which is this sudden surge of confidence that God is going to do something miraculous and amazing. And it becomes such a confidence within you that it can look like you are the one that is moving in confidence. It looks like you are the one that's initiating it. Nobody told David to do this. No flesh and blood person told David, but he had an insight because he knew God. And and, and this is another affirmation of the principle of Old Testament miracles. I've not looked at every single one of them, but a pattern is emerging that in every single miracle that we've looked at in the Old Testament, every one of these miracles has something to do with the covenant purpose of God. It's not people doing their own thing. God isn't just demonstrating his power indiscriminately. God is working according to a purpose to bring his covenant to fulfillment. And here we have a nation chosen by God, Israel. A king chosen by God, Saul, who was soon to be rejected, of course, with covenant promises. And here we have uncircumcised people who are outside of the covenant challenging the very people of God. And in fact, it was not 
people that they were challenging, but God himself. David saw it. That was an insight. He could see, as it were, the spiritual reality behind the fleshly experience. And because he was tuned into that, faith was triggered in his heart. He knew that God was going to do something. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Covenant language. That he should defy the armies of the living God. Covenant language. And for you and I in the New Testament, we can still speak about covenant. Of course we can, the new covenant. But more particularly, every supernatural manifestation of God in our experience is always about the kingdom of God. It is always God's kingdom that's at stake. God furthering his kingdom, his purposes of his kingdom, to reach the lost, his purposes of a kingdom, to fulfill God's plan. God's kingdom is coming, and very often when God's kingdom comes, there are supernatural manifestations. Every time you exercise your spiritual gift, the kingdom comes. That's what it's all about. So it's not about us, it's about God's kingdom. David knew and understood God's plan, And he lined up with God's plan. He knew it was the right time. Timing is everything. Somehow David understood that this was the moment. In any experience of mine where I have seen a miraculous situation, whether it is a supernatural miraculous answer to prayer, whether it's a supernatural miracle of healing, Blind eyes opening, for example. There is something that's hard to explain. The gift of faith that operates there recognizes that now is the time. It's not you presuming now is the time. God, I demand now is the time. No, God shows you. And there is an excitement in your spirit. And something wells up on the inside of you. And words come out of your mouth that you would never have said. I remember a clear example of this. A a young girl was brought to one of our meetings, one of the first meetings we had way back in in, in early days in Kenya when we were traveling back there, way back in the 80s. And and they said, there's a a girl here, 12 years of age. She uh, was unable to speak, unable to hear. And as soon as I saw that, something happened on the inside of me and I found myself saying these words, she shall hear and she shall speak tonight. I tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't Colin Dye. If it was merely Colin Dye, she would never have changed. But it was God. It was God. She had been brought from up country on that Sunday to attend the deaf school in Nakuru on the Monday. She never went to the deaf school. Never. And she was completely healed. Now, that was something coming out of my mouth, which was not Colin Dye talk. Just because somebody says amazing things. It doesn't mean to say it's going to happen. We could say, I tell you, saith the Lord, Big Ben is going to fall into this and that, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. If it's God, friends, it's right. If it's us, forget it. We can't do what God is not doing. But there was something about the right time. David's preparation was in place. I'm quite sure he's able to reflect on that and say, God, I thank you that you gave me the little battles and then a big battle. And also, he had the right attitude. It's very difficult to explain this. David reasoned with the logic of faith. 
The Bible is full of faith logic statements. Here's one. If God before us, who can be against us? Okay? If God is with us, the Bible says God was with David, and he began to reason with the logic of faith. This is divine reasoning. When you start to see things from God's perspective and use divine reasoning, nothing anymore is impossible if it lines up with his will. Let me give you an example from my own experience. In that same preaching um, event that I just described earlier, it didn't start out like that. In fact, I came this close to getting on the next plane home. When I arrived at Nairobi Airport, and it was the old Nairobi Airport, Kenyans, don't think I'm insulting, the new airport's amazing, but that old airport, is anybody old enough to remember the old one? It's a bit bit like Lagos. Remember Lagos before and Lagos after. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And that was an ordeal in itself. Then we got to the place where we were supposed to be going, the Everything had gone wrong. All the arrangements had fallen through. Everything was totally catastrophic. And and we had just just enough uh, to get into the van to drive us to Nakuru. We had nothing, absolutely nothing. It's a long story, but everybody let us down. when When people let you down, remember, God never let you down. So everybody's asleep in the van. I'm nervous. I'm agitated. My attitude was wrong. I want to go home. Don't want to stay here. Isn't it terrible? What a stupid fool to come over here, think God's going to use you. All this kind of thinking, stinking thinking. And I got resentful of all those testimony booklets. Let's read them. Da, da, da. Ah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All the outcomes are wonderful. All the outcomes are wonderful. But they don't tell you what they felt like before it was wonderful. I felt exactly like this. And I was as low as you could be. Don't forget God is teaching me something in this experience. And then as I sit back, begin to talk to God rather reluctantly and not with very degree, great degree of spirituality, these are the words I heard in my spirit. I am with you. Wow. That's nice. I am with you. Do you know God is with you? Let that sink in. God says, I am with you. What's the logic of faith? If God is with you, it's going to be all right. Somebody needs to hear that today. I want to tell you it's going to be all right. It may not work out how you want it, how you expect it. It may be longer. You may go to hell and back again on a trolley three times. I don't know. But I know if God is with you, it's going to be all right. Come on, let's shout out. It's going to be all right. So now I got bold. And I spoke to the driver of the van, when you get to Nakuru, I would like to speak to the person who owns this company and tell them that such and such a thing about his wife. There's a word of knowledge. Everything worked out. We got the transportation. And now we needed equipment. And I went in Nakuru. What am I going to do? We need a generator. 
We're not going to big cities. We're going to the towns, the rural areas, showing the film, Jesus from Luke's Gospel. I need a generator. So I get very bold. I walk into the first dukkha. That's a shop selling electrical goods. And I say, I've come for the generator. Now, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and the person never even replied to me, never even existed, just picked up the telephone and gave me a number says, this is the address. Didn't say anything else. So I went to the address and I said, I've come for the generator. Never met the man before. He goes out of the back, brings the generator, he says, smiles at me. And I said, how much? He says, big smile, no charge. <laughs> Hallelujah. This faith works. I'm flying high. I take the generator to the compound and I speak to all the team. Team, gather here. Aren't you grateful that you are walking with such a man of faith? Uh, uh, look, no generator. Here's a generator. Hallelujah. Uh, everybody was laughing and praising God until we tried to make it work. <laughs> the generator would not work and now I know what he meant when he said no charge. <laughs> My attitude turned very bad, very quickly. <laughs> and then I began to use the logic of faith. Here's the logic of faith. If God provide generator, God make generator work. <laughs> yes? yes? Simple. So we prayed for the generator. I tell you the truth. I do not exaggerate, not, not by much anyway. That when we prayed, that generator worked. When we didn't pray, it didn't work. It's as simple as that. Sometimes when we heard preparation, I didn't know whether it's a person praying or the generator making the sound. It was very similar. <laughs> and I tell you, when they would forget to pray, the film would wind down and the, and the film would go... <laughs> and the next time we were there... RT, the next time we were there, something else. There was a projector that we used. We had one bulb for the projector, and the bulb was broken. The filament was hanging like this. But the projector worked. How did it work? The engineer said, come look at this. What? He said, look at this. He took his hand off, off the projector. The filament went down, and the light went out. Put his hand on the generator. It went up and joined. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's weird and bizarre. You see, when you are reasoning with the logic of faith, natural logic doesn't operate. Supernatural logic does. Now, there may well be another explanation as for both of those things. I don't know. I'm not clever enough to know. But I do know this. When we prayed, it worked. When we laid hands on it, it worked. That's the logic of faith. So when you are moving in the gift of faith, at that time, by the Spirit of God, you start thinking differently. You start seeing things differently. And as preachers have said this many, many times. It's not original. Everybody looked at Goliath and they said, he's too big for us to hit. And David said, no, he's too small for me to miss. He's too big for me to miss, sorry. And so he took just one stone, one stone. And what did he do? We know he's moving in faith because he said, with all the fullness of covenant language and understanding, he said, you come to me with a spear and a javelin. 
I come to you in the name of the God of hosts, the God of the armies of heaven. And in this way, that little despised shepherd boy rises up and with one swing from his sling does what no member of the army, no champion of Israel, no king of Israel could do. That's the potential of when you allow God free reign in your life to prepare you, to develop you as you surrender your life to him. There will come a moment when God will use you. And when he uses you, giants will fall. 